0: Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for listening. This is Embodied Astrology, and my name is Renee. You are tuned in for an episode exploring Pisces, and this episode is offered as we move into Pisces season in 2023. I'm recording for you at about 7 p.m. Pacific time on the traditional lands of the Kulitz, the Noma, Kathlamet, Clackamas, Tumwater, Tualatin, Kalapuya. Wasco, Malala, uh, and the bands of the Chinook, and many other nations that have called and call the place where I am home, um, otherwise known as Portland, Oregon. It's a place of many rivers, and a lot of uh, moisture, and tall trees, and many different life forms um, moving together in continuity, and um, a lot of different growth, lots of Uh, algaes and molds and fungi and as we move into Pisces season I'm really feeling the shift of the seasons and the uh, moistening and the softening of earth and the accumulation of water as the waters that have been contained in the hardened ground or in the ice forms uh, start to melt And we're getting rains and there's a lot of mud and there's also um, this feeling of spring coming where I am. Spring is just around the corner and a lot of smells are saturating the environment. And I've been really appreciating the sensations of uh, Pisces in the environment and the landscape as the season comes closer. And noticing how there's almost a sparkle in the air and the clouds feel particularly luminescent um, and so I'm wondering where you are listener <laughs> some point in the future um, wherever you are listening from how you feel Pisces as a seasonal quality and a time of the year which is really very deeply one of the ways that I understand and orient with astrology and uh, tropical astrology, which is the kind of astrology that I practice, uh, which is a language of seasonal light and a language that tracks the earth's rotation around the sun. And so Pisces season is also the season that comes before the vernal equinox, which is the beginning of spring in the northern hemisphere. And uh, in this before the beginning of springtime, there is a kind of anticipatory uh, sense of blending two seasons um, in the middle of them. And the image of Pisces uh, being two fish swimming in opposite directions is evoked here. Um, And that image of two fish swimming in opposite directions, I think is often interpreted as uh, part of a consciousness that is moving towards the material or the earth and part of a consciousness that is moving towards the spiritual or the sublime. But in this particular moment, I'm also feeling uh, Pisces as well as its mutable sibling signs of Gemini and Virgo and Sagittarius as being energies of the in-between and the flexing uh, of temperatures and the movement of one state into another state and in this particular movement um, the seasonal quality where I am is a seasonal quality that is moving from wet to dry from uh, winter into summer and we're almost at the portal of spring and I personally feel happy about that. So I'm coming to this podcast with uh, a lot of preparation in some ways. I've started thinking about it pretty much as soon as the last episode for Aquarius season was over. And over the last four weeks or so, I've been collecting a lot of different ideas and um, longings and feelings and uh, notes. And I've worked on... A lot of the astrology in making horoscopes for Pisces season. And if you're interested in checking out the horoscope for your sign um, for this season and the season ahead, you can find them at embodiedastrology.com. They are available by donation or for free. And those horoscopes explore uh, the seasonal movements or the planetary movements and the lunar phases through the embodiment as I interpret it for each sign. But now, as I'm sitting down for this overview, um, I'm feeling with all the preparation, also a lack of preparation, or maybe it's not a lack of preparation as much as it is a sensation and deep knowing that there is absolutely no way that I can include all the things that I've been wanting to include in this single episode. And even if I could possibly include all the things that have floated through my consciousness over the last month and even just in the last couple of hours, um, they would still just be the most minuscule of drops in the ocean of what Pisces could potentially be and the everythingness of Pisces as a symbol. Um, And so I am coming to this recording with a feeling of uh, hopefully compassion for myself as a a Leo rising person. um, Part of how I experience Pisces in my eighth house is a desire to like give everything. And um, I often feel this with astrology where I collect and I collect and it's like I just I just want to give everything. I want to give all the information. I want to have all the ideas. I want to contain it all. And in the impossibility of that, sometimes I can feel some Pisces kind of ways, like a little overwhelmed or confused or um, (laughs) deeply, deeply grieving that, you know, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't everything. So I'm uh, also coming to this with uh, my intention for Pisces season for myself, uh, which is to release perfection. And I feel like Pisces is such a beautiful invitation to release perfection and really to um, make an offering or a sacrifice And that word, of course, is to make sacred. Um, So in this offering, uh, whatever emerges, because I'm a little off the cuff for this recording and I haven't made my usual notes, I've decided to just let go of the idea of perfection, try and show up and give what I can. Uh, In this offering, I hope you receive anything that might be helpful to you in this moment, um, in your astrological journey, or in your meanderings around Pisces, or uh, anything else that you might be thinking of right now. And I want to open with a a quote, I've got a number of books around me, I thought they would be better allies than my notes today. Um, But this is a, a quote from a song that you've probably heard before written by Leonard Cohen. And I won't read the whole uh, songs or all the lyrics, but I will include them in the show notes. The birds they sang at the break of day, start again, I heard them say, don't dwell on what has passed away or what is yet to be. Ah, the wars, they will be fought again. The holy dove, she will be caught again bought and sold and bought again. The dove is never free. Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. That song was uh, in my head for the last week or so, thinking about Pisces and this seasonal offering and my intention to let go of perfection. And um I love Leonard Cohen. I don't know about you, but uh he's been his voice has has been with me since I was a teenager, and um his his poems and his melancholy and his humor have been very inspiring to me. And Leonard Cohen uh was a Virgo. Um he was like a triple or quadruple Virgo, I think he's sun and rising maybe a couple of other planets in Virgo, but he's a Pisces moon. And I feel like um, his his lyrics and especially that song really encapsulate some of the the wisdom of Pisces and Virgo in their oppositional axis and any signs that are opposite to one another reveal and reflect one another. They are part of the same spectrum of continuity and possibility. Um, but in this axis there is uh, the craft and the tending and the devotional uh, practices of the earth-based realm with Virgo, um, what we can control, and then there is the everythingness and the unpredictability and the dissolving and the magic and the ungraspable and all of the cracks <laughs> um, that, that Pisces uh, represents, and I I feel like that's often where poetry emerges, um, is in the craft of the the practice and the longing to express the ineffable and the liminal. And um, Leonard Cohen was certainly someone who um, seemed to really strive for that. And I know that in his life, um, I don't know. A ton about him, but I know that he was a spiritual aspirant and that uh, part of his journey was really about accepting uh, loss and accepting imperfection and um, exploring also the uh, emotions that circumnavigate around loss and imperfection and, um, you know, working through his own uh, human stuff with that Um, so this, uh, this episode will be meandering. It will be incomplete and, um, it's just a slice of possibility of what Pisces could be. And I hope that it, uh, is a good starting point for you or a springboard to your own associations. As we move into Pisces season, uh, we move in with a new moon and, as I mentioned, it is the night of the new moon as I'm recording this. Um, The moon has yet to move into Pisces. I'm recording really in the last moments of the balsamic moon. And I like this as a image in a lot of ways that Pisces is the last sign of the zodiac. And even though the zodiac is a circle, and therefore it has no beginning or end, uh, Pisces is kind of a culminating place or a place where everything that has come before it now gets to be included, but in the inclusion of everything, um, nothing retains its form. And so Pisces is the place where there is breakdown and dissolving of solid states and in that breakdown and dissolving of solid states, there is loss and there is ending and there is grief and there is potentiality um, and there is the letting go of what was. And in a lot of ways, it feels like that's resonant with uh, the balsamic moon and the hours before the moon renews. And it's really in uh, this space of of darkness um, that from the earth in our vantage, we cannot see the reflected light of the sun. And so on a subjective level, if uh, you happen to live somewhere where there's not a lot of light pollution, um, or if you use your imagination to envision what it must be like to actually have a a night sky and a luminary that you uh, feel really affected by and whose movement you follow, that this particular moment is a moment of shedding and um, a surrender of what was, and a not yet knowing of, of what might be. And so um, moving into Pisces season with the new moon, uh, the symbols that are really speaking to me are first the, the moon's closest aspects. And the moon uh, and the sun have just completed conjunctions with Saturn and Saturn is in the late degrees of Aquarius. And in just a couple of weeks, um, actually at the full moon, so in two weeks from when I'm recording, Saturn will move into Pisces and it will be there for the next three years. And I'm certainly going to talk about that in a little bit. But before we get there, Uh, At the beginning of Pisces season, the luminaries have just completed their conjunctions with Saturn in the last degrees of Aquarius, and they are moving into Pisces. And to me, this feels like a a symbol of of surrender, and a surrender of a perfect offering, or the perfect form, and a recognition of the cracks, and um, something that we could have conceived of or that we may have been striving for uh suddenly losing its solidity and in that space then kind of being stunned or overwhelmed or immersed in uh the not knowingness of what is or what will be there is a um, Buddhist parable, and I'm forgetting what it is, and I heard it um, spoken by a teacher named Jozen, um, <laughs> and I'm forgetting everything about it except for this, is that uh, at some point someone says to someone else, not knowing is the most intimate. And I feel that uh, in this chart and in feeling what Pisces season might represent, and um, is an incredible intimacy and the subtlety and the potential uh, for both a a kind of exquisite and sublime proximity to what feels like everything. And in that everythingness, that, you know, a sense of intimacy, a sense of um, being touched or being moved uh, by the mover, by the the substance or the spirit that pervades all things. Um, In a less esoteric (laughs) interpretation, the proximity of the new moon to Saturn, uh, as Saturn is preparing to leave Aquarius, to me really feels like a symbol of the times that we're in. And Aquarius is often associated with society and with a human potential. Um, with the idea that humanity might uh, remember a word that literally means to bring members back together, um, how to live in coherence, and how to live in ways that honor the necessary diversity um, that gives rise to abundance and to life forms and Um, how to live in ways that, you know, don't necessarily seek to make everybody the same, but also understand the intricacies of our interdependence and somehow um, allow human beings to get along. Saturn is a form builder and a form maker in its cosmology. Um, And many of us know Saturn through mythic, archetypal representations that are very patriarchal, um, leading us to Kronos and Father Time and uh, Saturn as a god who ate his own children for fear that he might lose his power and be overthrown. Um, But uh, an astrologer who I really admire, um, one of my contemporaries, uh, Jason Hawley, recently gave a a class that I attended where he was inviting us to explore Saturn's uh, mythological origins and he brought us back to the Sumerian god Enki and Enki is very different than Saturn Um, Enki is actually an embodiment of uh, the sea goat um, Capricorn's archetype in that um Enki makes his home and he dwells and goes to sleep at night in the Absu, in the chaotic waters of primordial becoming. But during the day, he goes to work in civilization and he builds forms. And Enki very much has a, a mischievous trickster energy. And unlike uh, the patriarchal Saturn, he really you know, loves to have a good time and he's into pleasure and he has a great sense of humor. Um, but the presence of Saturn in the last degrees of Aquarius close to this new moon as we begin Pisces season and with Saturn's uh, impending ingress into Pisces also brings to me this feeling of um, society and how many of us, or I'll speak for myself, how I've Known society or thought of society through um, my life in many ways is dissolving, (laughs) and um, it it feels to me like there we're in a moment of really profound shift. And beyond the proximity to Saturn, the next closest aspects that the sun and the moon make are aspects to the nodal axis. Um, So the nodal axis is the eclipse axis. And uh, this is the point where the intersection of the earth, sun and and moon come together um, to form eclipses, right? When there is a a obscuration of our our luminaries, um, one or the other um, behind each other or with the shadow of the earth. And the eclipse axis is formed by two nodes and Uh, These are the ascending and the descending nodes of the moon and its orbit around the earth. And the north node is in Taurus, as I'm recording um, in Pisces season. And the south node is in the opposite sign, Scorpio. And the nodal axis has been represented uh, frequently in the astrological symbols as a Ouroboros, or the um, serpent eating its own tail, or uh, a dragon's head and a dragon's tail. And the north node would describe the head, this is the ascending node, and the place where uh, feeding is happening. There's a voracious appetite that is ascribed to the north node, and the south node would be the tail, and this is the release point, or the place of elimination. Um, But of course, the serpent is eating its own tail. And so here we have a representation of cyclical time, and cause and effect, that The future is created from the past, and the past creates the conditions for the present, and in the present, of course, we are rapidly moving towards the future. And with the North Node in Taurus, a sign of Earth, um, we have a a rapidly uh, evolving earthly landscape. And over the course of the last few years, the nodal Uh, axis um, moved into this part of the zodiac in 2021 so uh, over the course of the last few years the uh, north node has been aspecting the outer planet uranus and uranus has been in taurus since 2018 and as a an outer planet or a transpersonal planet it describes a collective process and an attribute of our of our era and many of the keywords that are associated with Uranus are things that are happening in the Earth realm right now, um, as represented by Taurus. And so, um, a couple of keywords for Taurus uh, agriculture and food, uh, wealth and economies, and just Earth in and of itself, and really the stability and the fertility of Earth um, are represented by Taurus. And some key words for Uranus are disruption, uh, sudden change, um, surprise, innovation, upheaval, revelation, revolution, um, invention, that's another one. And so the presence of the North Node here is accelerating the Uranian process and There are so many ways to think about this, but certainly what's resonating for me in this particular moment of recording this um, is the acceleration of earth changes that are occurring uh, at this time of human impact upon the earth. Um, I think it was not quite two weeks ago, that there was a massive earthquake in Turkey and Syria and surrounding areas that some 40,000 people, I believe is the last number that I heard, um, died in. And uh, there was recently a a cyclone in New Zealand and um, really cataclysmic destruction. And there have been floods and fires and earthquakes and uh, cyclones and um, these events are more and more frequent and of course they accelerate because of human impact and uh, our contribution to climate changes. And then their consequences worsen um, because of human development. And so the the flooding that would be a flood, no matter what um, is then made worse because the earth can't, Absorb the water, right? Either the earth has been hardened, perhaps, uh, because of recent fires, as um, is the case where I live and and south of me um, on the Pacific coast in California, that uh, summer after summer, as wildfires become more and more intense, they create conditions in the ground that then um, can't absorb the water, and so the flooding that then will happen uh, over the winter months becomes more and more extreme. Or as has been the case in many places, um, perhaps the ground is entirely covered by concrete or buildings, and then certainly the water can't be absorbed, and the uh, level of uh, human suffering then is compounded or as happened in Turkey, um, tens of thousands of people who may not have died did because they were living in buildings that weren't built to um, the appropriate code. They, didn't, um, they weren't engineered uh, in order to withstand an earthquake. And the, that oversight was due to uh, human greed, right? Taking a shortcut, trying to uh, get a better bottom line. And then this is the result, this kind of suffering, um, human arrogance, short-sightedness, greed, uh, lack of understanding of how elemental forces work and lack of respect of the earth and uh, the earth's forces and the earth's own um, systems, like its, its immune systems, its systems of life and regeneration and what they need. And uh, human civilization uh, propelled by capitalism and uh, white supremacy and patriarchy and greed have made forms upon this planet that certainly are not sustainable and worsen the effects of what would already naturally be occurring on earth, right? Fires happen, floods happen, um, but then these effects are compounding and we are in the Anthropocene or the Apocalypse or the Necrocene or the Afrocene or however you want to think about it, whatever your word is. Um, but that's the the impression that I get as I look at this chart for Pisces season. And over the course of Pisces season, um, a, a lot will happen, and I'm going to talk about a little bit of it. But Some of what is starting to happen um, really feeds into the astrology of 2023 as a whole. And so there are movements happening now that uh, reverberate and echo throughout the year. And when I was doing the 2023 year ahead readings, and if you're interested in those, you can find them at embodiedastrology.com. They are deep dives into into this year. Um, When I was doing those readings, I was really struck by how much it felt like the earth is in chaos in these readings. And for me, as a person who spends a lot of time um, feeling and sensing into cycles and working with a lot of different people and thinking about a lot of stories, it can be easy for me to kind of displace myself sometimes and to see it all as a dream or um, kind of feel like personally a little bit untethered in my own body and like I'm just looking at a story unfolding. And, and I really had that sense as I was doing the 2023 readings. And I had that sense a little bit with the uh, Pisces season reading of it's massive, it's massive right now, and the uh, consequences and effects and residues of centuries and millennia are uh, cohering into a, a kind of momentum that is affecting everybody and every single system, and it can't be ignored, and it it will affect us, and it will affect every single living being, and. Every being will be affected until there are enough beings who demand some kind of change or until our beingness uh, dissolves, until the, the forces that are bigger than us um, <laughs> take over our forms. And certainly this is Pisces symbol. Uh, one of the other really notable aspects that is occurring to me as I'm looking at this chart um, is the applying conjunctions uh, to Neptune. Neptune has been in Pisces since 2011. And like Uranus, it's an outer planet. And so it takes its sweet time moving through its orbit. And I am not totally remembering right now how long Neptune's orbit is. It's like 100 and something years, 120 something years, 140 something years, I can't quite remember. Um, but probably longer than a human lifespan. So Neptune spends about 14 years in each sign. That's a significant chunk of anybody's life. And in that kind of length, it describes a collective process and uh, an experience that is going to affect um, everybody and, and the landscapes that create us and that we occupy. Neptune is considered to be the modern ruler of Pisces, and so it would uh, be at home here. And when a planet is in its domicile, both the planet and the sign are strengthened in their attributes. Uh, They become really magnified. And uh, Neptune as an embodiment of Piscean potentiality as it moves through the zodiac, um, brings qualities of dissolving and disillusion. Um, things fall apart. They are not what we thought they were going to be. And in that dissolving and disillusion, there's also the feeling of unreality. Um, when things start to fall apart, we are confused sometimes, you know, what, what, what's going on? Um, I think many, many of us on earth and alive right now are having a feeling of like, what the fuck is going on? Uh, this is confusing, right? Like things are really falling apart. And as much as we might have an analysis for it or think we know why, um, or we can critically engage with it or whatever, it's still overwhelming. And all of us are still living inside of systems that, uh, are increasingly less and less functional and the, the confusion and sense of dissonance between what the status quo says is real and what we are experiencing is becoming larger and larger. And so this sense of uh, unreality becomes very strong. And in the space of unreality, um, a lot of weird stuff can happen. And we literally are living in an era where we're talking about fake news all the time. Um, and it's normal, right? Like it's, it's a normal experience, uh, for anyone, depending on what kind of news you're getting to think that, um, (laughs) it's a conspiracy. Who knows if it's real? Like what the hell are other people thinking? You know, where are they getting their news? Who told them that they're, they're nuts, right? Like, or, what are you telling me? What can I believe? What is real? Like this, this questioning and and deep uh, uncanniness or or lack of coherence um, is one of the ways that we might experience Neptune in Pisces. Um, but on an environmental level, uh, Neptune is in the last degrees of Pisces. It will leave the sign in um, 2026, and. To me, this, this feels like the end of the end um, if we think about Pisces as the end of the Zodiac. And so the last degrees of Pisces are a place of uh, the, the final dissolving of something and uh, like the thinning of the threads that might have held, held it together. Neptune is in an ongoing applying sextile with another outer planet, with Pluto. Um, And Pluto is just about to leave Capricorn, where it has been since 2008. And later in March, in Aries season, Pluto will make its first ingress into Aquarius. Um, I talked about that quite a bit last month. Uh, But the sextile aspect between Neptune and Pluto has been forming... Uh, since the 1940s. And it will perfect in the next decade, it will start to perfect um, in the 2030s. And to me, when I feel into this, um, I, I, I feel into the beginning of the end in the 1940s, and the end of the end in the 2030s. And the end is not the end because every end is a beginning so um i don't necessarily think like we're going to perish uh every all life on earth or um the planet will spontaneously combust or something like that um but it is an end of an age and it's an end of uh certain kinds of uh societal norms or status quos and i think for a lot of folks it's the end of a particular dream and in this moment in 2023, uh, the feeling of ending and the proximity of ending is so close. I don't know how you feel in your life, but to me it feels so close. And every single day I'm wondering like how much longer uh, can certain things continue? How much longer will mo- you know where will people keep going to work? How much longer will people keep putting their money in the bank? How much longer uh, is anybody going to have faith in a government or something like that? Like, How much longer can certain things um, maintain? And there's a lot of stress. There are a lot of uh, fracture points and cracks in the status quo. And these cracks are getting bigger every single day. And whether they are formed by um, fascists trying with all of their might to uh, pull us into a regressive pattern and take us back to the past or assert control, or whether they are being formed by environmental forces, Um, letting us know in no uncertain terms that we are certainly not the ones in control or whether they are being formed by uh, uprisings and people coming together to demand different conditions and change or whether they are being formed by um, the artists and the visionaries and the imaginal cells starting to group together in new configurations Um, in some ways it doesn't matter because the cracks are everywhere and we are living through an era of such profound and incredible uh, disillusion and upheaval and change and there is so much here and there is so much feeling here and Pisces um, is a water sign and so it represents the element of water which is the power of feeling and the technology of water is uh, the the technology that moves down and in and it seeps and it pervades and um, the, the cycles of water and the continuity of water are what Pisces represents and so if we're thinking about the Piscean water we're thinking about um, the water as it's pushed upwards from the earth and into the soil. We're thinking about uh, the evaporated water as it floats through the atmosphere. We're thinking about the cooling evaporated water as water molecules bond and collect and form clouds. We've got rain, we've got rain saturating and flooding and filling rivers and lakes and ponds and then becoming the ocean. Um, And we have the water in our bodies and our bodies are made of more water than anything else. (laughs) And same goes for our planet. And so Pisces in its representation would be the water that moves. Pisces is mutable water, the water that changes. And water is in a constant feeling changing state. And Uh, through the symbolic language of astrology, if we think about this as emotion, um, then this is the emotion that moves and the emotion that's everywhere and the feeling and the sentiment that pervades. And just like your body is primarily made of water more than any other element, um, water saturates your experience. It It's not only contained in your cells and in your organs and in your veins, um, but it's in the air that you're breathing and in everything that you consume. And uh, it's, it's evaporating from your body all of the time. And Pisces uh, in medical astrology rules the places in our bodies that are the most um, uh, moist, (laughs) where we perspire um, in our armpits and scalps and groins and the uh, soles of the feet. And in its relationship to the soles of the feet, of course, um, Pisces represents uh, the, the everything that holds the everything, right? The bottom of the bottom, which is the foundation of everything else. And so then Pisces is also a representation of um, the the tiny beings and the minuscule and the microscopic upon which all life depends. And on a human level, Pisces is representative of the care workers and the caretakers and the tenders um, and those upon whom uh, we all rely and depend and Pisces is the stuff that nourishes and without which we are nothing (laughs) um so where did I go I told you this is going to be a meandering episode over the course of the next couple of days for the moon and the next uh, month for the sun there is an applying there are applying conjunctions of the luminaries to Neptune and uh once Saturn moves into Pisces, we'll have an applying conjunction over the course of the next three years um, of Saturn and Neptune. And this to me is a representation of the the formalization of disillusion. Um, Now we have shapes coming around the, the chaos that is, and these aren't containing shapes for the chaos. We can't go backwards in time. We can't undo the amount of impact or harm that has happened. Um, these are shapes for the chaos to move through. And as Saturn uh, moves through Pisces and maybe even the course over the course of the next 30 days um, in Pisces season, we may in our own lives and in our own beings uh, find form for the feelings that Pisces wants to represent, and also the uh, forms of our grief or the forms of our chaos may need to be expressed. Um, so, I think I'll take a deviation and a pause right now to uh, read from another one of these books next to me. This is Alexis Pauline Gums from her book Dub. Um, this is one of three books uh, that she wrote in conversation with her teachers and um, authors that she, that she was responding to. And uh, these books are, are really profound. I've been um, kind of meandering my way through them for several years and don't claim any deep understanding of them, but feel incredibly moved really really moved anytime I pick them up and um, have started to explore some of the conversations that she's having uh, with other authors and so this book is in conversation with Sylvia winter and um, just from the back of uh, of the book you know where it gives a little blurb and talks about what it is, Um, It says, in these prose poems, Gums channels the voices of her ancestors, including whales, coral, and oceanic bacteria to tell stories of diaspora, indigeneity, migration, blackness, genius, mothering, grief, and harm. Um, And it felt like a a perfect book to uh, bring into a Pisces season reading. And I also wanted to just give a nod, and I'll include this in the show note, her book, Undrowned, um, which is a collection of essays that she did in collaboration with um, with marine life, with ocean beings. And in that book, she talks a lot about the, the confluence and the interconnections between ocean life and ancestry and civilization and society and uh, the many harms and the isms and also their healing and... Um, It is a very powerful book, and I think uh, a a real guide for the times that we're in. Um, So I'll include them in the show notes. And what I'm about to read is from page eight. If you gathered them, they would be everyone. Gather them. Recognize in them your jawline, your wet eyes, your long fingered hands, seeking what but this multitude If you gathered them, they would not fit on this island. They would spill back into the ocean whence they came. When you gather them, they will have fins and claws and names you do not know. Gather them anyway. Some will look you in the eye. Some are too microscopic to see. If you don't gather them all, you will never be free. If you gathered them, you could not hold them, scold them, demand back what you think is lost. Gather them today or your soul is the cost. Gather the ones who sold and who bought and who tossed overboard. Gather the erstwhile children in the name of the Lord. Gather the unclaimed fathers, the ones with guns and the ones with swords. Gather them up with your hands, with your relationship to land, with your chin set. You are not done yet. You never will. Gather them more. Gather them still. They will unfound you and surround you and find you and unwind you. Travel to you. Unravel through your own needle. Gather the thread. Collect your dead. Hmm. So beginning again. (laughs) I'm not sure where I left off. Um, When I when I come to this reading and when I come to these symbols and. Feel the uh, the depth and the profundity that emerges for me, considering Pisces and the beginning of the season of the luminaries, the sun and the moon, uh, which often represent our eyes, <laughs> our right and our left eyes, and in the body uh, hold our heart and our stomach, like the vital functions, essential forces, and such deeply personal placements held between Saturn and Neptune. They've just crossed uh, through their relationships with Saturn and they're moving into conjunction with Neptune. They are held between the, the rock of Saturn and the ocean of Neptune. And to me, this feels really like an invitation to gather and to hold and to hold the immensity of what creates our quote unquote reality. Um, Saturn, in one of its many archetypes, is reality, and Neptune is unreality, and they are both real within our lives. There is the material reality that we live in and that we struggle within. Uh, the forms of our temporal bodies, the realities of bureaucracy and uh, society and, you know, all of the many different aspects of what shapes our lives. And then there's the feeling of unreality and the everythingness that pervades the present moment, that this moment that we're in, in these landscapes that we inhabit are, are not what they seem. There is so much more here. And whether we're thinking about dark matter and empty space and the uh, limitless ineffable mystery, or whether we're thinking about the microscopic and the unseen that is very much uh, here and present and not a mystery and quite known, but still invisible, or whether we're thinking about centuries and millennia of cause and effect that have created the conditions uh, of our material worlds, that the bureaucracies that hold us and the governments that dictate and the corporations that fill our lives with their ceasing, unendless, uh, consumptive provo- provocation, you know, all, all of this came from somewhere. It didn't emerge from nothing. Um, And yet, we might feel that this is real, because it is, but yet it's not. And in that real not real feeling, uh, is this kind of uncanniness, or strangeness, or bizarreness, um, that sometimes feels quite insane, and I think to live inside of it is literally, it's crazy making, you know, to feel, which I'm sure you felt, I i feel this often, you know, to feel that all of, not all, but such a huge percentage of life energy uh, is taken by what is unreal, right? Like, oh, I have to go to work every day. Oh my gosh, if I don't go to work, you know, I'm going <laughs> to, I'll, I'll, not be able to survive like I won't I won't be able to uh, have kind of my basic needs met and uh, oh you know I have to participate in these ridiculous customs or these oppressive violent systems I can't get out of them I'm stuck in them in order to survive I am complicit Um, and underneath that to have a feeling which I'm I'm sure you feel too that that's none of that is what's important. That the preciousness of life and the beauty of relationship is really what's important. that the love that is potential between us and uh, in our relationships and in the ways that we might live upon land and within land and in relationship to elements and uh, beings, and ourselves could be so exquisite. And to know, to know that that is possible. And to know that that possibility has been stolen, and polluted, and uh, violated again, and again, and again, and again, and to know also that we're stuck in the systems that steal and that violate, it it can make one feel um, insane, right? Like, None of this makes any fucking sense. Why are we doing it? Why does it continue to happen? And then when tragedies occur that claim uh, lives again and again, and the machine continues to eat people, or the systems of supremacy continue to brutalize bodies, or uh, greed continues to create conditions of uh, compounding harm, and then we feel helpless inside of that because it's so big and it's so ancient. And it's, these systems are so convoluted and intrinsic within all the systems. And Where do we even begin? Um, this to me feels like ugh, the symbols of Pisces. And uh, when I read that poem uh, by Alexis Pauline Gumbs, I feel the Um, necessity and the imperative to call back our dead and to really gather what has been and to be in the immensity of it and not just uh, the ones that we can remember but the ones before the ones we can remember all the way back to uh, the microscopic and the uh, sea beings and the space beings or the star beings from whence we came. So I want to take a pause for a moment and just kind of feel in myself and uh, invite you to feel as well just all that you're holding right now and and all that is here that is so thick in the atmosphere. So much loss, so much grief, so much untended loss and grief, completely uh, overridden and obscured. And erased by the momentum of capitalism, by the momentum of uh, dominant uh, white supremacist kind of ideals that um, you know keep your chin up, like keep going to work, and you know don't let this one get you down. Like these kinds of feelings of oh, if I actually exhibit the amount of grief that I feel right now, or if I actually speak the immensity of how crazy this feels. Um, I'm going to lose my friends. I'm, (laughs) you know, I'll I'll be shut out. I'll, um, I'll be told that I'm crazy or nothing will happen, you know, at best, like nothing will happen. I'll express all of that. I'll tire myself out and then nothing will happen like that feeling. Um, I just want to hold all of that. And then invite us um, and invite myself as, as we move into this season to give voice to it. And I guess as I was moving towards this podcast, that was the one thing that kept coming up for me was there's so much grief and there's so much loss and where is the time and where is the space to just be with it? Hmm. And I don't know what feels personal to you or what feels impacting to you or what feels present to you as you listen. I think Pisces invites us to be close to that and to let it in and to let those feelings move. Hmm. I forgot my trajectory. <laughs> I don't know how I got onto that loop, but that's okay. Um, a moment ago, I said, you know, just be with it. Just let it be there. Just feel it. And I really do feel that this is uh, a necessity for any kind of potential for healing or repair or. Um, fruitful generative evolution is to have space to be to have space to grieve to have space to rest and to dream and when emotion can be felt and acknowledged and when there's space for it like water it flows it changes and I don't know about you I've certainly experienced that on the other side of grief and on the other side of catharsis is imagination and energy and creativity. And one of the uh, many, but maybe one of the most brutal uh, impacts of trauma um, and traumatized society is to rob us of our capacity for imagination. And especially with ongoing trauma and systemic trauma and the kind of uh, complex PTSD that results from an ongoingness of assault, um, it can feel really hard to imagine outside of uh, that unendingness. And I think that imagination uh, becomes even more limited when we aren't allowed to feel and aren't allowed to express uh, what feelings are here. Um, so an invitation uh, is is here for myself and for anyone that resonates with this, um, to give yourself space to feel and if it is accessible for you and inside of your community to gather together and in the gathering to gather and to really hold uh, all of it and to feel all of it together and to not have a goal other than holding space uh, and feeling it. And once the feelings have been felt to notice, okay, what's there? What emerges when when we give space for it? Um, Pisces in one of its associations uh, really closely connects with addiction and with escapism um, and also with inertia and a kind of sleepiness or avoidance or like uh, fogginess that really I think results all of those symptoms result uh, when there is not Integration, or within there can't be integration of trauma and emotion. And it creates a, a, a necessary numbing um, and a necessity to escape. And when we reach for substances or when we reach for the TV or sex or working too much or even, you know, our meditation practices or things like that, you know, all of it can be um a way that that we seek to avoid feeling what is um notice that you know notice it for yourself i i do my best to notice it for myself and a lot of times i just go with it you know and i think that that's fair um living in the time of apocalypse i think it's fair uh for people to use substances and um zone out on TV and try and avoid what feels uh, massive and, and potentially too devastating to really get into. And uh, sometimes we can make choices to take little sips and to let something move through and to give ourselves the dignity um, of feeling. And often on the other side of that, is the energy or the inspiration or the motivation um, that we were feeling lacking before. And I feel curious about this uh, with this Pisces season because the day after the new moon, which is tomorrow for me, and at some point in the past for you, because this will be released tomorrow, um, Venus is moving into Aries and venus uh, is moving from the sign of its exaltation in pisces where the planet of love is unboundaried and it gets to uh share and merge and um, in traditional astrology venus is very happy in pisces Um, and then it's moving into aries which is a sign where it is said to be you know um in detriment and it's like it doesn't uh Venus and Aries is uh the lover in the warrior's costume or something like that um, but I don't know about you I don't as a queer person, you know I feel pretty suspect of these like binary oppositional judgments, and I know a lot of uh, Venus and Aries people who are such big lovers, and I think that when The the body of love and connection and values is in a sign of individuated uh, energy and activation. Uh, We often get manifestations of values being put into action. Um, Values being a key word of Venus, and action being one of Aries. And as Venus moves into Aries, it meets up with a bunch of other bodies and its closest next connection is the asteroid Vesta um, associated with devotion and uh, tending of the the sacred flame, tending of the life force. And then the next meeting is with Jupiter, um, the expansive uh, philosopher and the, the one who encourages us to grow and to see the big picture. And then the next meeting is with Chiron, the wounded healer, the uh, intergenerational aspect of uh, remembering and um, integrating and learning that creates healing modalities and processes through pain. And then the next met is the asteroid Juno. Um, I often connect with Juno as a symbol of deep commitment and also of regeneration and the regeneration that is required to continue within the commitment. And then finally, uh, at the very end of Aries is the outer planet Eris. And Eris uh, is sometimes spoken of as the goddess of strife and the um, destructive potentials, and really the um, ultimatums uh, of of destruction when everyone's voice is not included. And Eris to me really embodies um, a symbol of uh, necessary violence sometimes, and and a kind of necessary. Um, Uh, overthrowing or rejection of the status quo. And in Aries, I think that energy is certainly amplified And over the course of the next couple of months, as we move out of Pisces season and into Aries season, uh, Mercury and the sun will also move into Aries and we'll have a confluence of bodies in Aries, lots of energy in Aries. And so again, Aries is a fire sign and it's cardinal fire. It's the beginning of fire. It's the match that is striking. And when we have combination of Pisces and Aries, uh, what we have, I think, is a lot of humidity, um, a lot of steam. And on a earth level, on a um, you know earth changes level, uh, this definitely feels like a, a point in the year when things are literally heating up. And um, conditions of humidity um, are also conditions of exposure. And um, the the combinations of heat and humidity certainly um, will be something that over the course of uh, the next decades um, are going to exacerbate the human experience and uh, most immediately the experience of more vulnerable populations and coastal populations And the intensity of heat and humidity, of course, uh, then producing more flooding and um, events like tropical cyclones and things like that. So that's there. Um, There's also the kind of humidity or steaminess that uh, we might read into uh, a human condition or a condition of, of society. And... Uh, It really feels like a time, and here I'm going back to the beginning of Pisces season and the luminaries between Saturn and Neptune, it really feels like a time when, um, for more and more people, disillusion is happening. And disillusion is so often spoken about as a negative event, you know, like, oh, I was so disillusioned. But I always feel a little confused with that phrasing because it's like, well, isn't that better? you know, to to not be, uh, in the illusion. Um, and there has been this illusion, right? An illusion of stability, an illusion of, um, some kind of future for capitalism an illusion that corporations are your friends and like, they're here for your best interest or something like that. And more and more people disillusioned, disillusioned with their governments, disillusioned with, uh, Whatever the bureaucratic systems are, disillusioned with each other, disillusioned with themselves, disillusioned with their own choices, da da da. and in in that process, in that emotional kind of unraveling, uh, there's a lot of fire, and so. Immediately as we move into Pisces season, as Venus moves into Aries and then the moon moves into Aries, um, and we have the waxing crescent moon on uh, February 23rd, um, aspecting this whole stellium of bodies in Aries, uh, it feels to me like there's an incredible amount of force that starts to move with the water. And so this combination of, of heat and water of uh, intuition and action and activation and agitation with emotion the emotional element um, also feels like a time when a when a big swell of activism um, is moving through the human landscape and activism comes in all shapes and sizes it comes through you know every single different belief uh, set and preference and all that and so with with no qualitative judgment around like what activism is it feels like people are being activated at this time and then i'll i'll pause for a moment with like a little bit of a a plug for a um, series I'll be co-teaching starting on the equinox with Carlin Bradley um, who is an activist and an abolitionist um, and Carlin and I are going to teach a five-week series on astrology and activism and we'll be looking at uh, how our different placements call us into activity and activate us and what Uh, do we need to do in order to sustain our activism? um, And, you know, not just get kind of pulled in episode by episode into like weird little spurts of, oh, you know, I'm gonna do this, or I'm going to do that. But what is really a sustaining activism? Because it feels like at this time, that's really what's being called for. And uh, certainly as I talked about last month in the Aquarius season podcast, as Pluto moves into Aquarius, uh, there is a potential that people, that the people um, are really uh, going to take the power and that there might be a disruption of the power as it has been or the status quo as it has been, Um, but it will not be an easy disruption. And though I truly believe there are more of us who want to live in Balance with each other and with the earth, and in some uh, way that doesn't seem as ridiculously dramatic as it, it seems when we don't live in those ways. Um, you know, we also have many different ideas about what that would look like, and uh, we live in a time of militarized violence. And so, what does that mean? What what forms do our activism need to take, and how will they be most effective? Is it always about a kind of protest confrontation? Or do we work in subtler, more underground ways? Do we work in creative ways? Do we work in community building ways? What are the ways that we can really uh, commit ourselves to lifetimes of activism? Because um, the the lives that we've shown up for uh, are 100% encapsulated in these interesting times. And I don't think anybody needs astrology for this to say that it's it's not going to be in our lifetimes, you know, that we find um, the resolution of the chaos that that we're in right now. But astrology, I think, agrees with that, and also says there are reasons to feel that our uh, actions and activities will bear fruit, and especially when we work together, and especially when we uh, identify our common goals and. Also, when we identify what we don't want anymore, and when we are clear about what is harmful and harming, um, not just in an externalized way, but really in an internalized way, what we are done being, um, these kinds of shifts in our consciousness when we uh, do the work to refuse in ourselves Um to like internalize supremacy or when we do the work in ourselves to betray whiteness or when we do the work in ourselves to uh upset misogyny um this this will be the the current of change um and as as we move into Pisces season and so much activity now gets stimulated in Aries um My forecast and prediction is that we will really see some inspiring and motivating mobilizations of people, and we'll also see um, mobilizations of people uh, in counter-movements, and so this is certainly a time of a lot of activation within the human realm. A couple of days after uh, the waxing crescent moon, we've got the first quarter square on February 27th at eight degrees of Gemini which is a um, interesting point for the quarter square to show up at because about two weeks later on March 14th actually exactly two weeks later because it's at the closing square on March 14th um, we'll have the third and final uh, Mars square Neptune aspect and Mars Uh, follow me on this tangent. So Mars has been in Gemini since last August of 2022. And it has been there for a long time because it had a retrograde cycle in Gemini. Mars usually spends about six weeks in a sign and it's been in Gemini or will be in Gemini by the time it leaves at the end of March for about seven months. And over the course of this time, Mars has squared Neptune three times. Um, I'm going to talk more about that square in a couple minutes, but before I get there, I want to say that Mars retrograde shadow, uh, began in late August. I think it was right around the beginning of Virgo season. So around August 20th at eight degrees of Gemini. And so Mars retrograde began at 25 degrees of Gemini, um, and traveled back to eight degrees of Gemini. And so that's where its shadow was. And that's where its uh, station direct was. And so then we have a first quarter square at eight degrees of Gemini on February 27th. And so this is a little side tangent, you know, if you're tracking astrology, or if you just track your life, if you keep a diary or something, do people call them diaries anymore journal? Um, And you write down the dates, like look back, Uh, to the to August September, and just notice what was going on for you at that time. And if you're a person who works with astrology, and you work with your own chart, definitely consider the relationship between uh, Gemini and Pisces in your chart and the transiting placements of Mars and Neptune and what they're up to. um, Because there's a lot of uh, stimulation of the Mars retrograde degrees um, throughout Pisces season and this is uh, one of them is the first quarter square. Um, and then a couple of days after that we get to the waxing gibbous moon on the 3rd of March and the waxing gibbous moon um, in Pisces season is in the sign Cancer and it will be opposing uh, Pluto and Capricorn And this is uh, right around the time that Mercury enters Pisces and Venus forms its conjunction with Chiron. So the uh, couple of days as we move from February into March to me feel like um, some days that really kind of uh, stoke the collective emotional body and also potentially the collective um, imaginary. Uh, Gemini is an energy that is certainly related to words and language and news and stories. And Cancer is a sign that's very much related to emotion, uh, as well as um, possessiveness and like, a, you know, the United States is a Cancer born on the 4th of July. And so there's this... Um, there, I mean, the fascists, right? Like, can we just talk about that for a second? All over the world, there is a, a push for fascism, for nationalism, and there's also a push back and certainly a rebellion. And my hope and perspective, I suppose, like my hopeful perspective looking at astrology um, is that sometimes it's like the extremes are the breakthrough. And so a large chunk of the global population held in bubbles of privilege will not be bothered to pay attention until something is loud enough or close enough or harsh enough to pay attention. And unfortunately, we need them. And and so in moments of extremity, there are also huge activations and awakenings and uh, a lot of new consciousness and awareness, and then movement can happen. Um, And nobody needs astrology to tell them that things are extreme or that uh, there are, are... fascist leaders making a a real strong run for dominance in the so-called United States, across the EU, um, in China, in India, uh, throughout Central and South America, it's everywhere. And while there are new bills and legislations uh, making it illegal for trans people to exist or for women to have sovereignty over their own bodies, excuse me, for people with uteruses and ovaries to have sovereignty over their own bodies or for children to have sovereignty over their own bodies or for people to um, live in uh, reciprocity with their land or for people to stay in their homes as their land is contaminated by Uh, corporate toxic chemicals or things like that, Um, there's also counter movements and there's a building opposition and building resistance. And part of what builds opposition and resistance, a big part of what builds it is empathy. And it's shared emotional um, perspective. And it's the feeling that, uh, oh, I don't know what you're going through, but the thing you're going through is similar to the thing that I'm going through and therefore we should join forces or I can support your cause and there can be some solidarity uh, or allyship here, or at the very least curiosity and a willingness to listen to the story and then perhaps a a shift within culture. Um, So I'm holding this for myself uh, in, in relationship to the fear that I feel at this particular time, and um, really trying to hold the sensation that there are also so many of us learning and coming together and uh, sharing tactics and um, stories and loving each other and helping each other heal. And that As there is a rise in global fascism and militarized violence and uh, chemical warfare, there are also communities doing really deep work. And there are individuals uh, doing very deep interpersonal work. And a lot of what is happening uh, on that level is actually um, hard to see. It doesn't make the news cycles. And the... um, (laughs) the powers that be have no interest in sharing those stories because they're not sensational. Um, So you have to look for them, and you have to feel them, and you also have to be part of them. And as Mercury moves into Pisces on February 2nd, and it will transit uh, through Pisces pretty much until the end of the season, it moves into Aries on the 18th of March. um, There's really an opportunity and an invitation to, again, do this work of holding space and sharing stories of uh, making space for collective and communal emotional process and um, as Mercury enters Pisces then it will uh, form its sextile to the north node and um, I didn't say this before but I meant to uh, both the the sun and the moon and Mercury uh, will be sextiling Uranus as they move through uh, their journey through Pisces and to me this feels like change that happens in softer ways and it and through the emotional currents and through the sharing of stories and through the growing of empathy and compassion and curiosity the full moon on march 7th is at 16 degrees of virgo it is trying to uranus in taurus and it is square to mars in gemini and it happens on the day that saturn moves into pisces um, and Saturn will now be in Pisces for three years. It's there until Valentine's Day on 2016, or maybe I should say February 14th on 2016, since I know that um, not everyone celebrates Valentine's Day and it's not on the same day everywhere. So mid-February 2016. Uh, I talked about this a little bit before, but Saturn is the form builder and also the, uh, the, the Lord of time. And as Saturn moves into Pisces, into this realm of limitlessness, everything is everything. And the accumulated emotional, um, combining of our current experience, uh, we have the feeling of the form of now being full of everything. Um, I was talking with Sherry Taylor just yesterday, and Sherry is a trained psychologist, has a master's and um, PhD in clinical psychology, and she's also a birth worker and a death doula and a mystic and an astrologer and a Reiki master and a fucking genius. And I feel so incredibly honored and delighted that Sherry um, has been part of the embodied astrology community for a while now. And Sherry's teaching a class, uh, excuse me, a series of classes on Saturn and Pisces. And actually on the day of the full moon on March 7th, uh, is the first one of these sessions. There will be four throughout 2023. Um, The first one is March 7th, and then we have another one in May, and then two more at the end of the year in, um, I think it's October or November. And this first session, I'll be co-facilitating actually with Sherry, um, more backing her up, I think, than co-facilitating because um, I personally mostly want to listen to her, uh, but I said I would be there to um, be a backup singer. Um, but we were talking yesterday about Saturn in Pisces, and Sherry named this time as the long now, that everything that is happening now is the past still happening, and history is now. And this felt so powerful to be thinking about uh, with Saturn's movement through Pisces and what is needed right now in terms of processes of reconciliation and reparation and just learning, you know, like we are destined to repeat the past if we don't know uh, what happened in it. And this sense of the long now, of, of the now being so full of history, and then the weight of that history and the gravity of that history coming into the now in ways that are absolutely pervasive and present but now we are ready to work with it and we have to work with it Um, it is the imperative of the time that this is one way that we might read into uh, Saturn in Pisces and Saturn uh, is often a, a symbol that is associated with restriction and pain And a kind of suffering that occurs in relationship to the past and, you know, feelings of remorse or regret or the feeling of doubt, right? Like, oh, I failed at something before and like the inertia of that makes it harder for me to try again. Or this trauma happened in the past and now I feel shut down and solidified and like I'm not open to a new thing happening, Um, that this is part of a Saturnian function in some ways. But that Saturn also, through aches and pains and suffering, brings us into embodiment and demands that we are here in the reality of the now. And so the long now, where history is so present, also demands that we feel the impact of history and that we have some kind of process of uh, reckoning with that history. Um, Sherry and I talked about so much yesterday and I, I wish you could have been there for that conversation, but you can be there for the conversation on March 7th. And you can also be there, uh, for the continued exploration of Saturn through Pisces in Sherry's, uh, series, Gravity and Grace a mythopoetic exploration of Saturn and Pisces. And yeah, I, I, I've talked about how amazing I think Sherry is. (laughs) how inspired I feel by her and by her process, um, but her weaving of the different modalities and her, um, background and dream work and death work specifically feel so profound for this time and for this transit, um, and the, the symbols that are evoked, um, Uh, through this time and so the full moon on March 7th is in the sign Virgo and a full moon is an opposition between the sun and the moon and so we have the axis of Virgo and Pisces being stimulated at the midpoint of the signs and this axis is then stimulating uh, Uranus and Mars as well on the day that Saturn moves into Pisces and I bet (laughs) this is going to be a powerful full moon in its symbolism. And if you are following astrological symbolism, um, notice what is happening in your world. Virgo as Pisces opposite tries to bring form to the chaos. And Virgo is an earth sign and it is mutable earth. So changing earth. Pisces is a water sign. It's changing water um mutable earth is adaptive earth it is the intelligence of the natural world as uh life forms break down and are then transformed and regenerated into new life forms it's the intelligence of the natural landscape to uh bring this being over here because it will pollinate that being and then that being will release this thing that this other being needs right like everything in uh Our our infinite expanding cosmos, including us, um, everything is constantly informing everything and Virgo as an earth sign represents the material process of uh, transformation and adaptation. And many of Virgo's uh, associations have to do with the intelligence of adaptation. So Virgo is associated with healing and with mending and with repair work. It's also very much associated with labor and with laborers and with um, the kind of labor that is essential. Our essential services are, you know, folks who that uh, (laughs) do all the things that literally like we would not be able to live without, that they grow the food, you know, they uh, help to clean, they care for the bodies. It's like all of these tasks and forms of labor, whether it's a, a group of people that that might be doing them, or whether it's uh, us and our chores and our day to day, or whether it's a particular family member that might um, be in a particular role. Uh, These are the people and these are the roles and these are the activities that are absolutely essential for our functionality. And so with this full moon, and as Saturn moves into Pisces, and this full moon is trying to Uranus innovation and invention in the earth realm, um, this feels like a really powerful time that especially if we are able to feel the magnitude of what is, uh, that that we may uh, also have some interesting ideas about what to do with it. Now, again, lots of potentialities in how we read astrology. That's just one hot take. Um, a couple of days after that, we get to the uh, waning gibbous moon in Scorpio on March 11th and the waning gibbous moon is uh, very closely aspecting the south node or the descending node again the elimination and the release point and this is also the day that Jupiter and Chiron form their conjunction and a couple of days after that um, uh, Chiron and Jupiter will both uh, conjoin Vesta in Aries. And so my sensation here or where I want to go with it is towards the release of unhelpful and the release of actually incredibly harmful, um, uh, deeply embodied and emotional uh, attachments. And the South Node in Scorpio, uh, I want to read it as an elimination point for the kind of Scorpio that becomes really destructive, the uh, deep attachments to power, the deep attachments to greed, the manipulation of power, and uh, the use of emotional power to oppress and enforce perpetuation of misuse of power and domination and control. Um, Jupiter and Chiron conjunct uh, to me feels like also a potential for personal healing for personal growth for awakening and for awareness of one's uh, own empowerment and the healing or the repair and mending, particularly of intergenerational harm, and also the healing and the repair and mending that is made possible by intergenerational allyship and the ways that each generation uh, really picks up the work of the last and also takes on uh, the offering for the future. Um I want to read from another book, and this is um, the Book of Qualities by J. Ruth Gendler. Gendler, I'm not sure how to pronounce their last name. Um, I want. I wanted to read this book of uh, qualities for its representations, its kind of humanizations of uh, emotive qualities. And I was going through it, and I was actually the most drawn to terror, and. I wanted to bring that in around uh, this south node activation with the waning gibbous moon and Scorpio and Jupiter's conjunction to Chiron um, because I think terror is uh, one of the most dominant um, emotions of, of control and we're living in an era of terrorism and we are being terrorized constantly by governments by corporations um, by each other and terrorism happens in many forms Um, but I'll read this and then I'll continue with that thought so terror is stricter than my first Latin teacher she doesn't want anyone to become friendly with ecstasy or run through the hills racing the wind On the west wall of her living room, she keeps a long list of rules and a tally sheet of those she frightens and those who frighten her. In the margins, she records your weaknesses. She demands privacy, but she doesn't hesitate to bother others at any hour of the day or night. When terror wants power, she has many ways to silence those who oppose her. She is willing to use violence to achieve her ends. Often, she prefers less obvious means. Terror knows that she can control the body by controlling the mind. When people are in states of confusion, terror's propaganda passes for truth. When people are in states of confusion, terror's propaganda passes for truth. Terror came to our meditation class for a while. It was hard to breathe when she was in the room. However, she never stayed long. After a few minutes, she always opened her eyes. She knew if she sat really still, she would scream. This felt like a a powerful um, representation of terror to bring in uh, at this point in Pisces season. Um, Pisces is a, a dream state. That's one of the ways to think about it. And dreams can be nightmarish. And as I've already spoken to in this episode, um, this feeling of unreality and insanity and kind of the nightmarish, quote unquote, reality that we're living through um, is so infused with terror. And uh, it, it seems obvious that terror is something that um, is calculated and weaponized and used uh, very Explicitly and intentionally um, by those who seek power and seek control. And as we move from the Scorpio waning Gibbous moon to the last quarter moon in Sagittarius, uh, which I'll talk about its aspects in a moment, um, there's a lot here that, on the one hand, I would definitely venture to read as terrorism. And I I'm not meaning to say that and be sensational or make you scared or use my words as a spell or something like that. And so if you're getting mad at me for saying that on a podcast, maybe it's not. Maybe I'm not the astrologer for you um, because terrorism is happening and it has been happening and it's such an incredibly entrenched aspect of society and it's been a tool of society for hundreds of years and millennia. I mean... I don't need to go into it. That was Aquarius season podcast. Go listen to that. Um, But it feels like in in the Pisces season podcast, what I really want to feel into is the uh, potential to really work with our emotive states and our emotional states. Um, Pisces has correspondence to the endocrine systems in our bodies and to the fluid systems. And... Endocrine as a substance is incredibly powerful. And if we think about it as a symbolic um, association to Pisces, just one drop of endocrine into our bloodstream, just one drop of a hormone uh, can completely change our experience. Um, I'm close with somebody right now who's going through a hormonal transition and um, I've been able to talk to them about their experience as they start introducing testosterone into their body and it's the tiniest amount they're microdosing it and so to to listen and to hear and to watch as they go through changes is really profound and to see the changes in their body just from the tiniest little bit of a hormone being introduced into the body or you know in your own experience, when fear is elicited in your body, and your body starts to produce adrenaline and cortisol, uh, how your entire experience can shift really suddenly. Or if you fall in love, (laughs) the love drug, and all of a sudden your body, you know, is filled with oxytocin and dopamine, um, and the world is shiny, and someone talking about uh, state sponsored terrorism on an astrology podcast just kind of like you're like what ups? you know it's like you're filled with oxytocin and dopamine like the the world is a happy place and so notice you know what what are the elicitations that uh come into your sphere where do they come from uh do they come from social media do they come from the news do they come from your own thoughts um, Terror knows that she can control the body by controlling the mind. When people are in states of confusion, terror's propaganda passes for truth. Remember that in general as you are alive at this time on earth. And keep it in mind um, in mid-March as we approach the waning quarter square on March 14th, Um, The moon is in Sagittarius, which is a sign of the news and broadcasting. Um, The days that follow, we'll have a Sun-Neptune conjunction, and then a Sun-Square-Mars. And Mercury and the Sun are moving into their superior conjunction. That happens um, on March 17th at 26 degrees of Pisces, sextile to Pluto. And so that means that Mercury uh, will conjunct Neptune and square Mars. And as I mentioned a while ago, this is also when Mars and Neptune perfect their third and final square. Um, If you are a person who follows the news cycles and you have a mind that remembers them, you might trace certain topics back to the previous uh, Mars-Neptune squares in October, November, and again, the beginning of the Mars retrograde cycle in late August. That would be one way to kind of just follow this cycle and see what's happening, you know, in the news on this uh, around this quarter square moon that I think will certainly bring a lot of energy into the collective consciousness and, um, what is being shared in terms of information, what is being broadcast. Uh, this is a span of days in which it feels really important to remember that the body mind, that the body heart mind, um, is a relational entity and that, uh, all of us are thinking thoughts that are not our own most of the time. And our consciousness is entirely shaped um, by relationality. And what we perceive comes through the filters of our embodied experience and social locations and also through the filters of um those who might control what we perceive, right? And so these are a couple of days just to be discerning about news, about information, um, about the way that information spreads, be discerning about what you want to do with the information that you get. And this feels quite activating and an activating time. And we are just about a week away from Aries season and uh of course aries as an energy activates um so notice what is happening and be discerning around um your emotional state and remember that there are vested interests um in terror and in the uh possibility of terror for control (laughs) and when people are confused right, they will more readily believe certain things. And so please keep that in mind. um, This week following the full moon and the week following the closing square. And on a personal level, and I really did my best to speak to these potentials in your horoscopes, because I love you. And I want you to (laughs) I want you to thrive and I want you to feel good, um, on a personal level, this also feels like a time when, um, our beliefs can really firmly come into our actions. And the late degrees of Sagittarius are degrees that correspond with what is called the galactic center. And, uh, the sun coming together with Neptune, uh, Jupiter coming together with Chiron, the Vesta uh, conjunctions, all of this to me also really speaks to um, dedication and devotion and insight and awareness and potentially a lot of enthusiasm and a a lot of uh, momentum. Um, we're living in really interesting times. And I think Pisces more than any other sign speaks to fluxing of energy and um, wild swinging between extremes like, oh my god, that thing is happening there. And it's so devastating. And literally, at the same time, this thing is happening over here. And it's brilliant. And it's exquisite. And they're happening in simultaneity. And as one extreme grows, so does the other. And it feels to me like this is astrology that is representing that and speaking to it. And so my invitation for myself as a person who feels very sensitive and very um, easily kind of freaked out by the world and by other people, and um, I can really spiral, um, my invitation to myself is uh, following the full moon to really invest myself in the practices of my own devotion. Um, Again, Virgo and Pisces are both signs that resonate with devotion and practice and dedication. And certainly um, with Pisces being an archetype and metaphor for the spiritual substance and for uh, the subtle luminous, uh, uh, numinous liminality, Virgo is the way that we reach that or reach towards it. So this is a very powerful time for personal devotional practices and for connecting with the knowledges and wisdoms and traditions that Sagittarius um, that bolster us in times of deep confusion and connecting with the leaders and uh, the visionaries, right? More Sagittarian images um, that propel and motivate us uh, into action. And connecting with our own growth potential um, and our healing potential, Jupiter and Chiron, and also using this astrology to purge and to cleanse and to purify as the south node uh, in Scorpio might invite us to do. Or Neptune and the sun's conjunction with Neptune might invite us to do um, that. This is a very powerful time for recognizing and realizing what does not serve us anymore in the emotional, in the relational, in the personal, and in the ways that we participate. Um, These are the last few days of Pisces season, and as we uh, move towards Aries season, Mercury will move into Aries first on uh, March 18th. Venus moves into Taurus a couple of days before that. That's a nice grounding influence. Venus moves into Taurus on the 16th in the maelstrom of this kind of like chaotic swirl of astrology. Uh, Taurus is Venus's earthly home. And I feel excited for Venus to be in Taurus. It feels potentially grounding and uh, helpful. Um, But then we're moving into Aries season. In Aries season, uh, it's um, kind of bananas in terms of the astrological symbolism. We'll have two new moons, including uh, the first or the last of which on the last day of Aries is an eclipse, and that is the first eclipse in a sequence of eclipses which will occur in the signs Aries and Libra over the course of the next two years. Um, and once again, beginning uh, pretty much with that new moon on the equinox or the day after on March 21st, Carlin Bradley and I will begin this uh, Tuesday series, Tuesday is Mars's day, and we're going to be exploring uh, astrology for activism And um, really working deeply with our charts, having a collaborative and collective process around what activism could be. We're not trying to teach you how to do activism. Um, We're inviting you to really feel into your chart for where you are activated and where you want to be more active. And we're thinking about the ways that activism can become sustained and integrated more holistically and can also be held more communally. So... I'm going to end it there and I will end with another little reading. Um, at the beginning of Pisces season, before I did the horoscope readings, I chose uh, a card from a new deck that I got. And, um, I recently just got this deck, um, called Dirt Gems and it's a plant oracle deck and guidebook by Anne Louise Burdett and Chelsea Granger. And it's so beautiful, um I just I, I opened it and was immediately just totally in love with this deck. It's exquisite. The art in it is so beautiful. The cards are gorgeous. The writing is really inspiring. Um, and I love working with Oracle decks because they are such oracles. And uh, I asked the deck to help me tune in and feel into were there any plant allies that wanted to work with us for Pisces season and um <laughs> it's uh, delightful and um mystical and unsurprising that kelp is who showed up um so I'll read about the tide bringer kelp is ocean medicine a gorgeous variety of seaweed kelp is a salty winding forest that provides home to many creatures kelp is home medicine What matters most when we think about our place in this world is how we locate ourselves in relationship to other living beings. Kelp is where otters live. They tie themselves to the kelp forest in order to not float away and sleep on their backs with their young tied to their bellies, always connected. This is how we can see our ocean medicine friend as an umbilical cord to belonging. If you need a sense of home or togetherness, you can call on kelp to weave you into the web of place kelp brings many stories and shape-shifting water spirits with them including the most directly connected for english speakers at least the kelpie kelpie speaks excuse me kelp speaks in omens through their movement and mystery that we have been fascinated by for thousands of years We too are ocean creatures and perhaps look to kelp to relearn the language of our true home, to speak in shape-shifting with fluency, to find a comfortable place in mystery, to fill our homes with magic. We are surrounded by living entities whose secrets we know in our hearts, but whose language we have forgotten. Kelp can speak to you in the mother tongue of water and salt. Kelp is the home place of our magic, Kelp is the mysterious forest where we travel to and melt into the thriving interwoven net of life itself. Kelp is slippery, salty, nourishing part of the blood and ocean water that runs through our very bodies. Kelp says, I am part of you. Welcome home. So my friends, I'm going to leave it there. Um, What a beautiful invocation to Pisces from our friend Kelp. I hope that you've enjoyed any or all of this episode, and that whatever you take from it is helpful for you and healing, and that it uh, opens portals for your own explorations and imaginations of Pisces season and your chart and astrology in general. Um, I would love to connect with you about astrology more. And starting tomorrow, for me on February 20th, I'll begin a Monday- movement series uh, Monday is the moon's day and every Monday uh, except for some Mondays because I'll need some weeks off of course um, because Pisces reminds us to let go of perfection and <laughs> uh, and rest um, but most Mondays for the foreseeable future I'm going to hold a virtual uh, movement space a somatic space for embodied astrology. And I'll be working with the lunar rhythms and with the weekly planetary aspects, uh, some of which I've spoken in this podcast, but rather than relaying them through words and information, uh, we're going to practice attuning with them through our bodies, through the felt sense of um, the body locations that they rule, through imagery and evocation of their symbolism, and through uh, guided creative visualization and uh, writing or drawing or uh, simply sensing and really letting our bodies be oracles for astrology. So these won't be places where I do a lot of explaining or theorizing. I hope that these are places that really encourage you to feel and sense into what astrology is for you. And uh, I also hold a once a month gathering space for astrology called Tea Time. And in that space, we convene around the themes of the zodiacal season, Um, there's an invitation for people to share their charts. We talk to each other about astrology. We read the symbols together. It is such a sweet and nourishing space. It's one of my favorite events every month. Um, And if you're interested in joining for the uh, somatic space or for tea time, you can find more information at embodiedastrology.com. Both of those spaces are available through the Embodied Astrology memberships. And you can also get an all-access membership, and that will include the workshops. And I've already talked to you about a couple of them. Um, Sherry's workshops on Saturn and Mayan Carlin's workshops on uh, Aries and activism. And actually starting today, uh, just a couple of hours before I began this podcast was the first of a four series uh, workshop. Uh, with Janata Petrus. And Janata is a delightful being. She's an award-winning playwright and author. She's the author of The Stars and the Blackness Between Them. She is a mystic and a visionary and um, a lot of fun. And she's teaching a series called Artistic Alchemy. And she's working with the magic of the mutable signs for a soulful, um, creative life and practice. And the workshop today was so nourishing. It was so inspiring. It was so fun. I felt like Janata just held us in um, like a, an embrace for two and a half hours. And I don't know about you, but I really feel um, like my creativity changes a lot when somebody else is holding a container for it. And it can be hard for me to create a container for a creative process sometimes if I don't have a goal for it or even if I do um and now that I you know I'm not in a position in my life where I've been maybe in other points like in school where I might have art classes or uh, part of a community where we gather and make art together I don't have that in my life at the moment and I've been missing it a lot and so I felt like um I just felt like I got to return home in a lot of ways in in Janata's space today. So the Artistic Alchemy series is a series that explores um, creative ideation and exploration and maybe production and you're welcome to bring uh, creative projects that you have already been working on, or birth a new creative process, or just drop in and be creatively inspired. And Janata is working with the mutable signs, and with astrology, and uh, chart examples, and music, and incredible prompts. And I felt like I received some guidance that um, is going to be with me for a long time, and some new creative projects that I know I want to venture into. Anyway, All of these workshops are included in the all access membership. And if you sign up before Aries season begins, so before the spring equinox, uh, or if you upgrade your embodied astrology membership to an all access member, you will get complimentary access to my foundations course, your chart is a body. And if you're interested in a more Um, somatic experiential approach to reading astrology. That is a self-paced course. It has over 24 hours of content. It includes the Embodied Astrology Basics Handbook. Um, There's a lot of uh, different ways to access practices, guided practices, and explorations in a workbook um, to feel into chart reading through a somatic process rather than an intellectual process. And so if you become an all-access member of the synthesis space before March 21st, you'll get complimentary lifetime access to your chart as a body. And you can also drop in to any of these uh, workshops And uh, you can catch them on recording if you miss the live events. They will be there for you in the virtual ongoingness. Um, All right. Thank you so much for listening. I'm wishing you all the best in Pisces season. Uh, If you want more on Pisces season, tune in with your horoscope. And I'll explore a lot of these symbols without the um, kind of more collective interpretations. I'm really just looking at the potentials, hopefully the healing and the growth potentials um, for each sign. And you might also be interested in the 2023 year ahead readings. Those are about two hours long uh, readings for each sign. They are deep dives into the astrology of 2023. And a lot of the kind of pivotal astrology of 2023, and this is a very profound year, um, begins now in Pisces season. All right, loves. Bye for now.